may be seated. Well, we're currently going through our series, The Romans 828 Man, as we've been looking at the life of Joseph, the man who uh, in the Old Testament uh, embodied the truth of Romans 828. As he went through difficult situations, he maintained his faith and trust in a sovereign God, and knowing that God was in his life, even in difficult circumstances. So far in this series, we've seen how Joseph was faithful as a son, and then he was obedient in the small things, even in giving report to his dad about his brothers doing wrong. And again, no one likes a tattletale, but uh, he was still willing to be faithful to his dad, and uh, regardless of how that was going to affect his other relationships. Uh, we have seen uh, how he was faithful in, in the fact that, uh, well, remember his brothers ended up selling him then to, uh, to be a prisoner in Potiphar's house. And uh, we saw that Joseph was tremendously faithful in uh, a place where he was unfamiliar with. Uh, this was very far from home, Egypt was, and, and, uh, and yet he remained faithful and his integrity was intact in, in spite of his place. And then he was also faithful in his prosperity. Uh, many times when, when people get blessed, oftentimes that's a, a time where people start veering from, from the Lord. And yet not Joseph. Joseph decided to be faithful in his prosperity. And he was also faithful in, in the time of power. He was given really a lot of power in Potiphar's house. He was the guy really in charge of all the household happenings. And yet he decided to not let that go to his head. And boy, a lot of people have been ruined by having too much power in their life, but not Joseph. In fact, we'll learn that God is giving him a little bit of power each and every time as he makes his uh, way through his life. And then uh, most of us all know the story. We know, spoiler alert, everybody knows the end of the story. I get that. Uh, but uh, pretend like you don't, like, you're, like Joseph didn't. He didn't know the end of the story. He didn't know how it was all going to come to pass. And yet, he's, I'm assuming he's learning the fact that God's preparing him for something greater, for his dreams to indeed come to pass. Well then, uh, last Sunday night, we looked at the, uh, the record of the temptation that he faced there with Potiphar's wife, and we learned how we also can overcome temptation. One of the great resources that we have to overcome temptation is the same resource that the Lord Jesus himself used to overcome temptation, and that is, of course, the Scriptures. Um, if we're not in the Scriptures on a regular basis, if we're not memorizing the Scriptures, if we're not hiding the Scriptures in our hearts, uh, we're not going to be able to combat the temptations that do and that will come into our lives. And also, we talked about prayer as a uh, resource in order to uh, overcome temptation. When we're praying that the Lord would uh, lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil, and to watch and pray because uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so that's what we talked about uh, last time. And now, as a result of his overcoming that temptation, you would think that all things were going to work out just wonderfully, right? He was going to live happily ever after, and he was going to receive a big bonus. He was going to get promoted. Well, that's not exactly what happened. And verse number 20 says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. 
and he was there in the prison. So instead of being praised and blessed and uh, rewarded for his uh, great uh, choice to overcome that temptation, instead he was placed in a prison even though he did not commit that crime. Well, in, no, in uh, December of last year, so just oh, six months ago, um, an Oklahoma man had been released from prison after a federal judge decided he served 35 years for a kidnapping and murder that evidence indicated that he likely did not commit. Do you remember hearing about this story? Uh, maybe you have. In August, U.S. District Judge James Payne ordered Carl uh, Fontenot, uh, who was 55 years old, to be released from prison, saying there was solid proof of his probable innocence. The Associated Press reported that the judge cited numerous problems with his conviction, including new evidence establishing, establishing an alibi and other suspects, sloppy police work, uh, bungled crime scenes, and the prosecutor's withholding of evidence and knowing use, knowing use of false testimony, among other things. And so he was uh, in prison for 35 years and finally released for a crime that he likely didn't commit. Now, again, only he and God know whether he did or didn't. Uh, but um, this was not the first time, though, that a man was incarcerated for a crime he didn't commit. In fact, it's more common than you may think. There's, a, there's an actual Wikipedia page about those in United States history who have been wrongly sentenced to prison and even those some who were executed for crimes they did not commit and since have been legally exonerated. Well, this has been around from the beginning, and Joseph was a vivid example of this. He was put into prison for a crime that he did not commit. But in this unfortunate turn of events, we can learn quite a bit about how to respond when life doesn't seem fair. And you're punished when you know that you are indeed innocent. And so, first of all, in this passage, I want to break it down and look at four aspects of this particular part of uh, Joseph's life here. First of all, I want us to notice, number one, that Joseph was pure. In other words, he was innocent. The Bible tells us that he was innocent. And so that's enough for me. Um, and of course, he wasn't able to get a lawyer. He wasn't able to you know, get a public defender and have a fair trial. Uh, he was just uh, Mrs. Potiphar's word versus Joseph's word. And, and he knew that what that was going to mean. He knew that. But Joseph was indeed pure. He was actually innocent. He really did nothing wrong. In fact, he actually did everything right. He lived in purity. Now, while culture mocks purity in our day and age, God still values it and desires it in his people. We live in a day, unfortunately, when access to filth and wickedness is a, but a couple taps away. We as God's people must diligently guard our hearts. Not everything does God tell us to do with all diligence, but he does say this about guarding our hearts. Um, we must resolve like the psalmist of old when he said, I will set no wicked thing before our eyes. Now I want to just take a quick moment tonight to just talk to our church family and just to encourage you as your pastor. Uh, I am supposed to, as your pastor, uh, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. That's my job description, biblically speaking. Uh, it's not always easy to do this. I always want to just encourage all the time. 
Joel Osteen it all the time. But that's not exactly the biblical job description, is it? And so I want to talk to the men and the young men here tonight. We are coming up on the summer months here in Oklahoma. And in case you haven't noticed, the weather has already changed to almost summer temperatures. While I enjoy summertime and the longer days and the warmer weather, it is also many times uh, that this time of year that brings the opposite gender dressing in a way that warrants us as the men of God to look away. And so I want to encourage us as males, as Christian males this summer, to make sure that our eyes are looking in the right directions and avoiding the wrong directions. Uh, we do need to uh, be very careful with this during this season. Again, I love uh, summer. I like, I like it all. Uh, but this is one area in which, and, and uh, I'll just let you know, I'm, I'm actually thankful I live in Oklahoma versus Southern California. We lived in the beach area. And you can imagine uh, the, the type of temptation that surrounded us during summer months there in Southern California. But uh, God does want us to be very careful with where we look. And to the ladies, um, God's word still teaches and says that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel. And nowhere in scripture is there an exception for those who live in the hot Oklahoma summers, unfortunately. Uh, you can check the Greek, it's not in there, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, now, I, I know it gets hot here, and I'm not, I'm not advocating that you put 87 layers of clothing on and a parka and all that. I'm not suggesting that. Um, but you can still dress modestly and not put too much and, and, and still be comfortable. Um, you can do that. It can be done. You see, God still desires that his daughters would dress modestly and represent him. Now, what, what does that mean exactly? Well, there are two main aspects to dressing modestly for the Lord. The first is the question, is your attire adequately covering your body? This is making sure that your clothing covers what the Bible calls nakedness. Well, what does the Bible consider nakedness? In Exodus chapter 28 and verse 42, um, when talking about the priests and their garments, uh, so this is actually directed more to men than it is to ladies, but ladies can definitely make an application here. Uh, thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness from the loins, even unto the thighs they shall reach. So from that part of the body, God considers nakedness. And so making sure that the attire, your clothing, is covering uh, that part of your body for sure. The second is, is your clothing form-fitting? Um, just because it may be covering doesn't necessarily mean it's exactly modest. Modesty isn't just uh, an appropriate covering, an adequate covering. It also needs to be loose-fitting to where it's not drawing the eyes of the opposite gender to those parts of the body. And I think we can all testify that uh, there have been uh, ladies who have worn dresses that were covering adequately, but they were very tight-fitting, and so that would not qualify as uh, modest. And uh, I think, so I just want to encourage all of us to make sure that we're living in purity during this summertime. Uh, you see, God sees and cares about our hearts. That is definite for sure. 
And uh, I, I was looking back and I was thinking back to this, and I know this is a sensitive and a controversial topic. I get that. Um, this is not something that I emphasize on a regular basis, but it does need to be emphasized because it is in Scripture. And I would be an unfaithful, I wouldn't be doing my job I would, if, I, if I didn't address this. Uh, I've preached probably about 240 times here at Cornerstone since arriving here. And, and do you know how many times I've, I've mentioned this? Sadly, not enough. And I'm going to have to answer to the Lord for it. Um, but I know it's, it's not a popular topic, but it needs to be uh, mentioned. Because God does care about our hearts, but remember, man does look on the outward appearance. So, ladies, I do want to encourage you to choose to dress modestly, not just to help your fellow brother in Christ. Although that is a biblical principle about not being a stumbling block. But the reason, the main reason to dress modestly is uh, to please your Lord who has called women to endorn themselves in modest apparel. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of the heart. And so I want to encourage all of us to live in purity during this summer. Now, when we choose to make light of purity and think it's no big deal, the Bible says it's to our own hurt. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, and here it is, which war against the soul. And when we don't avoid, uh, or when we, when we think that purity doesn't really matter and we just kind of go with the flow and do whatever we want, we end up waging war against our own soul. It hurts us. Paul Harvey once told how an Eskimo kills a wolf. He coats his knife blade with, with blood and then lets it freeze. He then buries the knife blade up in the frozen tundra. Well, the wolf catches the scent of that fresh blood and begins to lick that knife. He keeps on licking harder and harder. And because of the cold, he, he actually never notices the pain of the blade on his tongue. His craving for blood is so great that he doesn't realize he's now lapping up his own blood. He licks the blade until he literally bleeds to death, swallowing in his, his own life. So it is with the consequences of sin if we do not give it immediately to God. And this is, if we don't take seriously this area of purity, we're hurting our own selves. We began licking our own blood. Because we're warring against our own soul. I'm thankful this evening that Joseph chose to remain pure. And I hope you will make the same choice this summer. As the temptations to uh, kind of let loose a little bit. You know, it's warm and schedule's relaxed a little bit. So let's just know God still wants us to live pure. So Joseph, first of all, it was pure. Next, we see Joseph was punished. That doesn't make sense to our mind, does it? He lived a pure life. Sure, God would have blessed him, rewarded him, given him a lollipop for doing right. That's not what happened. He was punished. He did right. He should have been blessed. 
I'm going to ask us to turn to a couple passages of Scripture tonight. So get your Bibles out and uh, follow along, if you would, with me tonight, because I want you to see them. I could just quote them, but, but it's more powerful if you see them yourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. I think we would all agree tonight that the Apostle Paul was a tremendous example in the faith and that he did right. Now, he admitted in Romans chapter 7 that there were things that he knew he shouldn't do. Those were the things he did. The things that he didn't want, or the things that he knew he should do, those were the things he didn't do. He was a sinner just like you and I, and he had the struggles. But I would say overall, this man did right. This man accomplished much for the kingdom of God, and, and so he must have been blessed in a great way. Like everything in his life was easy peasy, lemon squeezy, right? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Well, here's, here's kind of what he got for all his labors. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure. Stripes, what are they? Oh, uh, that's when he was whipped. He, has, he had uh, physical scars on his body because of the whippings that he got. So he had stripes, stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. So you mean he did right and then now he, he gets whipped and, and, and put in prison? Verse number 24, of the Jews, five times received I, 40 stripes save one. So five times he got whipped, 39 times. You do the math. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and day I have been in the deep. And journeys often in perils of water and perils of robbers. And perils by mine own countrymen. And perils by the heathen. And perils in the city. And perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, and watchings often, and hunger and thirst, and fastings often, and cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You see, he did right, but his life wasn't just a bed of roses. Well, it may have been, but he was explaining some of the thorns that he dealt with. Uh, in that time. Okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Okay, what about some of the Old Testament saints? Uh, Paul was a New Testament. There was a transition period. And so I can understand that. But what about the Old Testament saints who lived by faith? Surely they lived happily ever after, didn't they? Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 11. They did right. So what happened? They must have been rewarded. They must have gotten all kinds of blessings because of this. Let's look here in uh, verse number 32 of Hebrews chapter 11. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith Here's what they did. They subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. They, they quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to fight the flight, the armies of the aliens. 
women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. Well, that doesn't sound exactly like they were blessed. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. That really pays to do right, doesn't it? I like If that's what you get, that's not exactly a uh, wonderful brochure for doing right in God's will. But verse 38 says, of whom the world was not worthy. The world wasn't worthy to have these people because they were willing to do right in spite of what it may cost. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They never got the lollipop that maybe they thought they were going to get for doing right. They never got that ice cream cone that maybe they thought the Lord owed them because of their act of faith. Now, ultimately, at this moment, I'm sure every single one of them is glad and has zero regrets for their choices and what they went through. They're thankful that they were able to suffer for the Lord's sake. But you see, sometimes when you make choices to do right... It's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Okay, what about Jesus, the Son of God? Now, we've mentioned that the Apostle Paul was a sinner just like us. Well, Jesus was perfect in every single way, lived a complete sinless life. So he must have spared from any pain and suffering, right? (laughs) Well, all of us know that that's not the case. Actually, while Jesus was completely and totally innocent, he was tortured by way of scourging, and then he was sentenced to be executed by way of the crucifixion, which, by the way, was the most painful and torturous way to die back in those days. So even Jesus, who did right all of the time, 100% of the time, experienced suffering. He was punished. By the way, it was my sin and your sin that caused that punishment, by the way. So innocence and living a godly life doesn't always produce health and wealth and wonderful uh, things that may come into our life that we think we deserve because of it. In fact, Paul said to Timothy quite the opposite. In 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, he said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall get lots of rewards and blessing in this life. Oh, I wish that's what the verse said. (laughs) That's not what the verse says. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, there are a great many Christians with the mentality of, I did right, therefore God owes me a blessing. Where is it? Uh, God, I read my Bible today. Where's my blessing? Well, your blessing was in the fact that you got to read the Holy Scriptures. God doesn't have to give you a raise today because you read your Bible. God doesn't owe you a blessing. God doesn't owe us anything. It's actually us who owes God for His mercy and His grace. Remember the song we sometimes sing? Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. 
Not, I did right, therefore, God, you owe me. So, like, where is it? I'm looking around the corner for the blessing. Now, anyway, since doing right sometimes brings what we would consider negative results, why do right in the first place? Why would we go to the trouble of doing right when sometimes it brings persecution? Sometimes it brings uh, a negative, what we consider a negative circumstance. Why would we do right in the beginning or at the first place? Why not just succumb to the temptation and sin? Well, the truth is doing right is its own reward. As I said last Sunday night, a clear conscience before God is a priceless reward for doing right, even if doing right costs you everything. You're going to have to face the Lord one day. And this life is such so fleeting. It's a vapor. It appears for a little time and vanishes away. And we're living for our vapor? No, let's live for eternity. Let's live for the fact that one day we're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for our life. Not just live for the temporary, this fleeting moment. You want to know the difference between an immature Christian and a mature Christian? When facing temptation, an immature Christian asks, how is this going to affect me? Like if I do this and I get caught, what are the negative consequences? And if I don't get caught, what are the, what are the like pleasures that I'm going to get out of this sin? That's what an immature Christian asks when facing temptation. But a mature Christian, they ask something far different. They ask, how is this going to affect God and my usefulness for him? And you see, Joseph, when he was faced with that temptation, he said, I may even perish. It was very likely that Potiphar had the power to execute Joseph for this particular crime, even though he didn't commit it. He believed his wife. Um, I think one commentary uh, was talking about the fact that Potiphar trusted Joseph so much and knew that there was an issue there with his wife to where that's why he spared Joseph's life and just put him into prison instead of taking his life right there. That's very possible. But Joseph decided that I'm going to do right even if it costs me life, even if it puts me into prison. It doesn't matter. I'm willing to do right because I'd rather have a clear conscience and be in prison than to have life kind of go hunky-dory but have a guilty conscience. That was a mature thing to think. I hope that you and I have that same mentality when we face temptation as well. So Joseph was punished. Kind of, kind of, it's not fair, (laughs) but, but, but it was, but it happened and it does happen. Then I want us to see number three tonight. Joseph was patient. Joseph was patient. How did Joseph react to this mistreatment? What was his response to this injustice? Oh, I know. He looted and burnt down a bunch of buildings. Because he was innocent. No, that's not what he chose to do. No, he couldn't have done that because he was in prison. But you get what I'm saying. I want to show you, I believe, what Joseph did. Um... Because he is very much a type of Christ in the Bible. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 
If your Bible's open in, to Hebrews, if you skip a few pages over to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 2. And this is uh, one of the more famous verses in this particular chapter, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. This is what uh, several, a couple decades ago, when they were doing what would Jesus do, the uh, following his steps, doing what Jesus would do. But the context here is regarding suffering for being innocent. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse number 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endured grief, suffering wrongfully. So if you suffer wrongfully like Joseph did, Peter said, this is thankworthy. This is something you should like put on your Thanksgiving list. My wife tries to do this every Thanksgiving. She has this book that she brings out and, you know, she goes around the table and like, hey, tell me the things you're thankful for. Tell me what you are hoping for next year and um, what are some of your goals. But uh, what, what Peter is saying is, hey, when, when Julie comes around and says, what are you thankful for? You get to, the first thing you should say is, I'm thankful that I got to suffer uh, for being innocent. That's what Peter is saying here. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Verse 20, he says, For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? He's saying, look, you get a, you get a ticket for uh, running a stop sign. Well, don't, don't, don't come to me and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm being persecuted for my faith. I uh, got pulled over. They were targeting me. Uh, and uh, so pray for me. I, I'm suffering for the Lord. And, uh, you know, but I'm trying to make it through and be patient and have a good spirit about it. No, you deserved it. And yet, here's what he continues on here. But... If when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So if you're doing right and you suffer for it like Joseph did and you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And then Peter uses the example of Christ here in verse 21. For even here we're in, even here unto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. He wasn't going, and I mean, if anybody deserved to protest what he was going through, it was Jesus Christ. And yet he chose not to do that. He chose not to revile back again. But when he suffered, he threatened not, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He said, Lord, I'm going to let you sort all this out. And when we're facing persecution, we're experiencing suffering because we are indeed doing right, then I want to encourage us to have that same mentality. And I believe Joseph had that. I believe that Joseph reacted in patience. He still continued to trust that God was in control and on the throne and that somehow, through this, he's going to still make those dreams that I had so many years ago come to pass. If you flip back over to James chapter number 1. 
just encourage us regarding patience. This is one of those things that none of us like, but we all need it. And the only way to learn it is to go through times of suffering and trial. We can't just learn it by going to a classroom and hearing about it. We have to go through challenges and trials to learn it the hard way many times. And that's why James said in verse 2 of James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. This is not a natural reaction for any of us. But he says to count it all joy when you're going through a trial, when you're going through times of suffering. This is the mentality we're supposed to have is to count it all joy. Again, it's not something that we go, yay, a trial, sweet. And yet that's the way God wants us to look at it because of this, verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, when we go through times of trial, it ends up maturing us as believers. And then we're able then to uh, perhaps even help others as they go through similar trials down the road. God's able to use us to comfort uh, other believers. So Joseph was patient and and, uh, and I want to encourage us when we go through times of trial and suffering, for the Lord's sake, to be patient and to not try to get even, but to allow the Lord to have his will and way in our lives. And then number four, and let's go back all the way to, actually on your way back to Genesis, put a marker in, uh, put your finger in Acts chapter number seven, because we'll be over there. Acts chapter number seven. I'm going to do that too. But Genesis chapter number uh, 39, verse number 23. Well, let me go pick it up in verse 21. Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. It's like really everywhere Joseph turns, he's, the Lord's prospering him. At home, he was the most favored of the children. He got that coat of many colors. The Lord was with him and showing him favor and prospering him then. Well, then he goes and ends up in uh, Potiphar's house and, and he prospers there. So much so that he is in charge of the entire house. Well, he ends up in prison. Uh, what's his response going to be? Uh, just sitting there and pout and cry and whine and complain because it's not fair. No, that's not what his response was. And as a result... Of his patience, the Lord's able to use him and prosper him once again, even in prison. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed Joseph's hand, all the prisoners that were in the prison. He's like, you know what, Joseph, I'm glad you're here. You're going to make my job way easy. You're in charge of the prisoners. And if anything, you need anything, let me know. But I, meanwhile, I'm going to go take a nap. I'll let you do all the work. And so whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. I mean, Joseph was the guy. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. He didn't care. He, didn't, he completely and totally trusted Joseph because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So here we again, we find Joseph experiencing prosperity, but it was the Lord who prospered him. And in this prosperity, Joseph knew that the Lord was with him even in this dungeon, the Lord was with Joseph at home, in the pit, in Potiphar's house, and now he's still with him in prison. When you find yourself being persecuted for Christ, for doing right, then know that the Lord 
is with you. And I'm thankful as New Testament believers, the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. But there is something special about those who deal with uh, great persecution. Now we're in Acts chapter number 7. If you're familiar with Acts Acts chapter 7, this is uh, Stephen preaching and uh, the deacon there. And uh, he was martyred for Christ. Acts chapter 7, and let's pick it up in verse number uh, 51. Here's what he said, this deacon. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Evidently, Stephen didn't go to Joel Osteen's Bible college. Um, he, uh, he let it rip and didn't hold back any punches. Which of, the, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now when they heard these things, they wanted to give him a love offering. No, that's not what it says. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And here it is, Jesus standing on the right hand of God. I thought Jesus was sitting at the right hand of God. Yes, he is. But when one of his servants was paying the ultimate price for doing right, Jesus was standing. And here's what Here's what he said in verse 56. Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. What a picture. What a privilege that Stephen had to see this. And they cried out with a loud voice. Stop their ears. Stop, you preacher. Stop preaching. I don't like what you're saying. And they ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And then the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Do you see the sovereignty of God in all of that? They stoned Stephen, calling upon God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. Wow. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You see, the Lord was with Stephen there in those final moments. And he was giving Stephen a picture that he hasn't given... Anybody else, to our knowledge, that he was standing there attentive and watching as Stephen paid the ultimate price for doing right. I'm thankful that when we do right and when we suffer for it, the Lord is there. He cares. And he's going to sort it all out someday. And while you may not get the raise you were hoping for, or the promotion, or the new house, or whatever it is that you think you may deserve for doing right, eternity will sort it all out. And you'll be so glad that you did right in that moment when you face the Lord. So, innocent. Yeah, he was innocent. He ended up dealing with a lot of trials and difficulties because of it, but... Again, since we know the whole story, since we know the rest, uh, how it all ends, we know that this was the Lord's sovereignty in bringing him into this prison. Because in order for him to get to 
Pharaoh, he had to go through prison. It, it was the way, the path that God had for him. I'm sure that Joseph would not have chosen the path that he took. However, God's wisdom is much greater than our own. And his ways are not our ways. We need to trust him as he leads us and guides us into things that we would not have chosen, even if we may not have deserved it. I know there's a lot of people right now with their businesses lost and like, I didn't deserve this. I was trying to do right and then this COVID-19 thing and then my business is, is done. Um, and, and, and you can fill in the blanks there. I know that it may not seem fair, but look, when, when, when does God owe us fair? If, if, he really, if, if we really got what was fair, we'd all be in hell right now. So anything above that is bonus. It's God's grace and mercy. So be careful about the attitudes that we have when we face difficulties and things that don't go our way. And I struggle with this just as much as anybody in here. So innocent. Joseph was innocent. He was pure. He was punished. He was patient. But then once again, we see him prosperous because of that patience. Uh, let's pray together tonight. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in your house. Thank you for the life of Joseph and what a tremendous...